0: welcome to the mastering the game of life podcast in this podcast there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life purpose prosperity philanthropy your host paul Lowe, the third sector mentor is the founder of hearts global cic which along with many other of his charitable commitments has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives particularly young people from disadvantaged communities author of Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe.
1: Hello podcast listeners and welcome to this Mastering Life podcast episode where it is my absolute pleasure to be uh, have a guest called Mel Eves. Now, just to put some context on that, Mel Eves played for Wolverhampton Wanderers in the 1980 League Cup Final against my beloved Nottingham Forest. And I suppose the purpose, or one of the, the purposes of this podcast, is just to, to give ironies of life. So that was nearly 40 years ago, and my heart was broken that day because Forrest were on for an unprecedented treble in the League Cup wins. Uh, they'd won it twice previously, and the third time of Asking of Wolves, and they ended up, they ended up losing 1-0. And Mel was part of that Wolverhampton Wanderers side that uh, that did the dirty deed for Wolves that day, if I'm going to be allowed to call it that. So, uh, Mel, very warm welcome to you.
2: Well, thanks for that, uh, that introduction, Paul. Yes, uh, you being a, F- a Forest fan, um, yeah, it wasn't the best day that you've had uh, at Wembley, but um, from a Wolves point of view, it was absolutely wonderful. And uh, to beat what was a wonderful forest team under under Brian Clough and Peter Taylor that were actually also which you, I'm sure you, you were aware of the European uh, champions at the time they'd won the European Cup the year before and just a few months later after we'd um, after we'd stopped you getting a treble <laughs> three in a row in uh, the League Cup um, you went on and retained the European Cup which is some feat yeah. so it was a bit like um a club going on and taking somebody like Real Madrid or Barcelona on today or Manchester City because uh, Nottingham Forest were that good at the time. Uh, So um, it was was a great achievement. From a Wolves side that were, I think that season, Forest finished fifth and Wolves finished sixth and there was just a point or so between us. So although most pundits had Forest as overwhelmingly favourites to win that, um, it was always going to be closer, and I think that the Forest lads were were really gracious in um, yeah. in defeat. And uh, but yeah, wonderful era for Nottingham Forest. And um, I know we'll come on to how Forest are doing now and how my uh, Wolves are. But uh, it'll be absolutely wonderful to see Forest back in the in the big time, so mm. to speak. I mean, Wolves have got there now, and yeah. they're, they're seem you know, fingers crossed they're doing okay. They're, they're and it'd be lovely to see Forrest doing the same.
1: And there's a great lesson in that, Mel, isn't it, for life? I mean, I know in that context, you know, we're talking about football, but, you know, that focus, that perseverance, that belief that you will get back to where you firmly believe you belong. Uh, as you say, Wolves have achieved that. Um, I personally believe Forest will achieve that. Um, and as I say, that's for me, is a great metaphor for life. That if you keep that focus and that determination, you will get where you need to be.
2: Yeah, and it, it, it's also a case of... What I keep banging on about um, in various articles, and when I'm asked the question is that any club, the, the old culture and ethos, is set from the top down, while the legendary Brian Clough was there, um, you know, same as he did it just down the road at Derby. Absolutely wonderful leader. And also, but you've then got to look at the structure of the club above the football management as well. Um, and that's where I believe that a lot of our clubs Forest, Wolves uh, you know Villa big club uh, that that have gone wrong in the past and they haven't quite got it right uh, you know because we want the we want clubs like Forest and Villa and Wolves to be right up there yeah you know uh,
1: but yeah again Mel is that not a reflection I mean you know we're talking about football specifically there which is absolutely right what you're saying um, but isn't that a great parallel for life itself that you know, whether it's business, our personal relationships, no matter what it is, we can have that semblance of success on one level, but unless things are right holistically, the whole package, that fragmented success is going to be very short-lived. So in the context of football, you can have a really great side, but if it's not right in the boardroom, sooner or later something's going to crumble. Conversely, in life, people can be successful what's perceived to be on the outside, but if their internal world is not, is not all together, then sooner or later, that external success is going to crumble as well. Would you agree with that?
2: Wholeheartedly, yeah. Um, most, most people have probably th- the three main areas of life, which you can sometimes get one or two in balance. But the, the thing is getting all three in balance. But we, we can say is uh, health, wealth and relationships. Absolutely. Uh, whether that be personal relationship, business relationships, um, family, uh, your health. You know, I've met a lot of multimillionaires that would give anything uh, and then they suddenly have a heart attack at 40s, 50s. Yeah, um, Because they've spent 17, 18 hours a day constantly every day building their business up and they've forgot, they've forgot about their health yeah. or they've forgot about the relationships. They're on their fifth wife or something. Yes. Or husband. Yes. <laughs> yeah? Yes. So it's it's getting everything in balance. Yes. And really understanding what you've said, and this is where Paul and I have had many discussions, is um, the Western capitalist system or the system is built on what I call an outside-in model. In other words, when you get this position, when your business um, achieves Six figures to start with. When your f- business is achieving uh, seven figures, when it, then when you get seven figures, you want to get to ten figures. Um, uh, then, oh yes, when I'm doing um, when i have done doing fifty press ups, fifty dips in the gym, whatever. Uh, when I'm, in other words, when I'm got something in the future or outside of me, when I get that car, that house, I'll be happy. It's the outside in model of the world, when this happens, when I get this stuff, because we are a consumer society, everybody is being turned into consumers. That's how the capitalist system works. Nothing wrong with the capitalist system. I'm just saying that's how it works. I'm not making a judgment. But if we get that linked into, that defines who we are, what are you? And most people will actually say, their job description in a former life I could say I'm a professional footballer yeah uh, I'm an accountant I'm an architect I'm a builder I'm a teacher I'm a nurse I'm a doctor mm. and just associated with that as that's who they are that
1: external label
2: yes but are we because people can wear lots of different I wear lots of different hats so I don't say that I am I am a teacher I am a, a founder of a, a charity a coach so we don't do that um, but we can get hooked up on that. So a lot of the time I go back to saying it is a inside out job. So we can choose. We, the biggest liberating thing that when I do my seminars or I talk to people is the ha-ha moment where they understand that we can control our state or our emotions under pressure or in any situation. And just because we've been conditioned to react to certain situations as opposed to respond appropriately, doesn't mean to say that once we are aware of that, we can change our belief, our our, our perception about how things work. Because everything starts from the seed of our, what you would call, operating system of how we work as human beings. And the easiest way to do it is to use that computer analogy, Paul, which we've spoken about, was... Look at us as we would look at a computer. So we are biological computers that instead of interacting with the, we have a Wi-Fi connection to the internet, we have our own innate interaction with everything that is called the quantum world or the universal consciousness. This is a little bit kind of out there to start with, but bear with me a second. But that's how how we are designed to work as human beings. Because our, because we are we're taught, especially in the first six years, that what we just see, hear, smell, touch, and taste—in other words, our five senses—are all that there is, and that's our perception of the world. When the scientists have proven that as less than 0.1 percent of the the a range of frequencies that we can pick up as human beings are just infinitesimal compared to what the in our known universe there is just shows that we're just aware of such a small amount that's out there. For instance, the, the easiest way to explain that to everybody is to say, how does a dog whistle work? So if people blow a dog whistle, we can't hear it because mm. we we don't know if Somebody's blowing the whistle, but then suddenly the dog comes running. Yeah, because they their hearing their frequency, they can pick up a higher frequency than we can you know so that you know you go to infrared and ultraviolet but then there is so much there's so much more around everything that the scientists have can measure now but we're we're totally unaware of it it's the same as tuning in if we tune into radio one that doesn't mean to say that all the other radio stations aren't aren't, uh, on air Mm. and uh, they're not working at that moment there are lots of and so the radio waves are going through, probably going through us as well, and in the room that we are now. And um, but because we're not tuned in to any particular radio station, we can't hear it. Yeah, but even but even when we tuned into that radio station, that one radio station, we can only hear that one. And we have such a narrow band that we can we're only aware of a small amount that's happening in what you would call our universe or our world. So is everything that happens in our world, which is what... And then we're we're also taught to actually believe in the way that physics worked when I was at school. Now, for a footballer, you're going to be surprised at what I'm going to tell you now, Paul, but I have got A-levels in physics and maths. Right. Um, it doesn't do you any good when you're up against a six-foot-two, three-centre-back who's trying to kick you all over the park, but... Um, <laughs> So, excuse me do you realize I've got an a level in this but yeah, uh, it yeah. doesn't really it doesn't really cut it does it uh, fortunately I was born in a little fishing village between Wolverhampton and Warsaw uh, called Darleston so and for the former years of my life if you if you just learned how to survive really how to look after yourself so I think that was more important to me playing football and being able to actually survive and look in a the dressing room environment and also on a football pitch in the heat of battle, that was probably more useful to me than getting an A level in physics or maths. Can
1: I just come in on that um, that physics related uh, point, Mel? When that centre half is ready to kick you into row Z, when you were talking about that, what came into my mind was I think it's Newton's third law, third or fourth, but anyway, for every force. There's an opposite reactionary force, so it might have been worth quoting that to the, the Erie center off. But yeah, you can keep yeah. me into row Z, but you're going into row ZA as well.
2: Yeah, the, yeah, for every force, there's an equal and opposite rea- uh, yeah. reaction. So, yeah. um, but the new Newtonian physics is, is what you would call the physics of the big stuff. Yeah, when you come down to the stuff that I lecture on and um. The world that I go into now of how we work as human beings Mm. is all about quantum physics, which is how the minute stuff works. Because when you talk about splitting the atom and getting down to the smallest particle possible, they've done that. And every scientist agrees, no matter what persuasion they are, that everything is energy just vibrating at different levels. Yes. So the more dense, the the lower the energy, the more dense it is. So we're on the desk here, tap, tap. That's because its energy is just vibrating at at a certain level. Yeah. When you get to what's a thought, what's an idea, it's still energy. Mm. But it's vibrating at such a high level that we can't see it. Yeah. We can't feel it physically. Mm. Yeah. It might translate, that thought may translate into a feeling or emotion.
1: Yeah.
2: In the body, but you can't you can't actually see or feel or touch it, can you? It's not tangible. It's not tangible. When we get into the quantum world, the quantum world there are universal laws in the Newtonian world of physics, the physics we were taught at school. Yeah. So, and one of those is if you you have a an implement here, we've got a pencil. I'm holding a pencil in front of you. If I let let go of that, what's going to happen, Paul? The law of
1: gravity says it will drop.
2: Yeah, that's the law of gravity. It's a law. Yeah. It's not when I let it go, it's not going to sus- just suspend spend there. Mm. Unless we've got some secret wires or something in a magic trick. Yeah. It's going to obey the law of gravity. That's a universal law. Yeah. But there are laws in the quantum world that are totally contrary to our what you would call logical or conscious mind of how it, things should work. Mm. Um and these these this has been investigated for probably at least 100 years now, at the beginning of the last century, when you go back to an experiment called the double slit experiment. Okay. So if anybody listening wants to Google the double slit experiment, um, there'll be probably five or ten minute YouTube videos on the double slit experiment, and you can see what I'm talking about as far as... At the very level of um, individual atoms they do not obey the same rules as the big stuff, as this pencil does. Mm. Because what happens is it depends on the observer. Now, this, is, this may sound a little bit crazy, but we're talking about waves because the particles adopt either a waveform or they'll just, or basically a particle. So therefore, unless, and that's totally pendent on the observer so as biological computers what we are connected with is the infinite possibilities there are infinite possibilities and probabilities of what is absolutely out there and it's all dependent on what we ourselves put out there so in other words what we think about comes about you've heard the saying that most people will will be aware of and have heard many times, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm. In the quantum world and how we work as human beings, the, the law is you will see it when you believe it. Yeah, the other way around. So it's the other way around. Everything works back to front and is totally illogical to... The conscious or logical mind, because we have a conscious mind where we can think things through uh, in the world of reason, we can reason things out. But when we get into the what we would call the quantum world, there is no logic to it.
1: Mm-hmm. This is fascinating, Mel, but I think it's a far cry from, and let's turn the clock back 40 years ago, and you know, as you said, you had the physics and whatever, you know, you was academically bright, inverted commas. Was your? I mean, where was you at those days as a professional footballer? Was you very... Uh, conscious, mindful of this stuff, or or was you too busy living life, and life got in the way, and the next game, and your training, and uh, just take us, give us an insight, Mel, into where you was at then, and that subsequent journey that's obviously taking you hmm. to to be able to give a real deep dive on on this fascinating subject.
2: Okay. At the age of ten and 11, 10, 11 just at the last year before you go into senior school. I'm at the junior school, and the, the head teacher asks all the boys and girls what they want to be when they grow up. So, in my day, a lot of the girls would be um, a nurse or whatever. Some of the boys wanted to be train drivers or doctors, accountants. Um, but there were three lads because we had a really good football team. The captain of the football team, which wasn't me, and um, another lad and me wanted to said I want to be footballers. Mm. So I wind forward and, because um, I passed the, it was the 11 plus then. Yep. We're in the sixth form in my my school and um, everybody's asked to act to put down on the forms where they want to go for the university. I think it's the UCCA forms or the University Choices forms, yeah. I was the only one that didn't fill it out because I said I'm going to be a footballer. Um, even though... At 16, I wasn't an apprentice. I stayed on it in the sixth form mm-hmm. to take A-levels. Then I didn't have any either verbal or written uh, offer of a contract from any club. Mm-hmm. And it was only during, towards the end of my second year when I turned 18, that after, after playing for Wolves in a, the, probably the final, what you would call, trial.
1: Yeah
2: was a reserve game at Molyneux against Leeds. And it was always three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And the first team were playing at three o'clock at Ellen Road, Leeds. Yeah. And I played in the reserve game at Molyneux. Mm. And after that, and then shortly after that, I did get an offer of a one-year contract
1: right.
2: with no guarantees. So I got a one-year contract. Then at the end of the set, my first year pro, I got another one-year contract. I was 18, 19. I'm then going into 20 and then I go another one-year contract. Right. Because I've again got into the reserves. I was top scorer in the reserves. So I get another one-year contract. I'm 21. I've not played a first-team game. I've not started or come on a sub.
0: Right.
2: I was sub for one game, which I believe was at Forest. Okay. But didn't get on. And you only had one sub. Um, so it's not like today when you have s- seven subs, I think it is. And uh, you, 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 usually... you use all three, don't they? Mm-hmm. But um, bear with me, this will all make sense. So a lot of people would say, "Didn't um, it's not going to make it. Hardly anybody in the fo- outside of the main football world would have heard of me. Um, hardly any of the Wolves supporters would have heard of me. I'm 21. Mm-hmm. By that time, somebody like Wayne Rooney, who probably got into Everton's team at 16, will have played 150, 200 games or something Yeah. in um, four, four or five seasons. Yeah. I then got in the I got a chance, I got in the team played four games, had scored and, I, and then I was out the side. This is in November. So I've then I had to wait. Then in the March, i get another chance. But you could think from the first one, I've just played four games he's out, that's it. Yeah. I might as well go and try lower down in the football world Um, but I'm still there and then the game I get brought back is uh, because Wolves are towards the bottom half we're not in the relegation places but we're flirting with it a little bit so I then get another chance they change it round and um, first game is against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge we drew 1-1 I scored the equaliser within 10 minutes to go at Stamford Bridge Which gets us a draw Which is a great point for us The next game Is at home Against Manchester United I play in that It's the only game On match of the day Because they didn't Cover all the games then We won 2-1 I scored the winner With about 10 minutes to go Right The next game We play Aston Villa Who shortly after that Went on to win The European Cup mm. And win the league And the European Cup Had a great side We beat them 3-1, I scored the first goal. So I scored three goals in three games. I then went on to do, well, till the end of the season. I then got called up into an England squad, which would be classed as a B squad, which was run by, the manager was Sir Bobby Robson. Okay. And uh, I went on that England tour, scored a goal, played three games, scored a goal. Now, I'd suddenly arrived. So from, not playing a game. I'm 21. To playing, scoring some goals, going on an an England tour, was I an overnight success?
1: Well, that's a relative question, isn't it? I mean, you, you put that in the, the concept, well, a man-made concept of time. Um, there is no right or wrong answer to that.
2: Yeah, but there'd be a lot of people. The vast majority of people would not have heard of Maldives. Mm. I'm 21 in the football world. Yeah. The key is that, was I an overnight success? Or, you see, from the first time that I was asked, I had no hesitation in saying, I'm going to be a footballer. Yeah. But there was no doubt. Mm. Even when I was in the sixth form, no guarantee, nobody saying, no no, no contract, by the way, no yeah. offer of a contract. Yeah. I'm going to be a footballer. Not even to the case, to even putting choices down as university choices. Then I've gone one year, no sign of being in the first team. 19, 20, no sign of being in the first, year, first team. Twenty, Turn 21, still not in the first team. Yeah. Most people would think, well, you might as well forget it now. So in other words, some people, if they are physically, mentally, everything else ready for it, such as a Wayne Rooney or a Mike Owen, uh, yeah. a little bit earlier... Can get in and and flourish earlier on. In other words, everybody will have their own way of doing things. So if I'm hearing this correctly, Mel,
1: what uh, what I believe you're saying is the outside world would have said, This Mel Eves, he's an overnight sensation. He's burst on the scene because he scored that first goal, because that's going to raise their awareness. All of a sudden, wow, okay, who's this Mel Eves fella? First goal. We've probably got a lucky goal. Hang on, he's done it again. Right. He's done it again. Well, he's only been on the game five minutes. So in the outside perception, there is that label of overnight success. Mm. However, if I'm hearing you, and certainly this is my understanding, you weren't. Because your intention from a, a, young, a young guy at school was, no, I'm going to be a professional footballer. That internal work and that journey had already begun.
2: And the other thing is, the internal journey had already begun when I was you near know, to a grasshopper. Was yeah. probably when I. Uh, but that internal journey began. But nobody else put that seed into my mind about being being a footballer. Mm. I cannot remember, for instance, my parents or anybody mm. putting that thought into my mind. Yeah. They just encouraged me and gave me the right environment to actually do what I wanted to do. Because I did everything else in the yeah. summer. I love my cricket. Still do. I love. I love playing cricket. Played cricket to a decent standard. Not as not obviously as I as football. But I played all the other sports. Did athletics, tennis, badminton. I did uh, judo when I was a kid. Right. But uh, wasn't really the boxing or whatever. But i had been I've been in. But didn't do any. Didn't carry that on as far as actually. Fighting, but I did the judo, yeah. which which helps when you, as I say, six foot two centre backs <laughs> all over you. So yeah. Uh, yeah. you you learn how to use your body and everything. So yeah. that's great, um, and everything else that kids do. Um, and this is why I think just a little bit of caution to any parents or or players uh, listening is it's not all about the foot. It, what, the, it wasn't that I concentrated on football from an early age. I did everything. And I think there's far too much I see now that the people can fall into the trap, oh, I've got to specialise in football and do that. I only specialised in football, really, when I got to 18. Literally. And I know I would say, yeah, you can specialise in football a uh, little bit earlier than that. And I did a lot more at 16 because I was going sometimes twice a week on the evenings and what have you mm. for, for different training. And that. So I did kind of start to specialise more at probably at 16. But um, I know there's been lots of studies all over the world and they say, I know in Germany in particular, I think Borussia e. Dortmund really don't take the the lads into their, their academy. The ideal time is 12, 13. Yeah. Because they say they've got to come through puberty first. Yeah. And then they, they should have a lot of life skills about doing a lot of other sports um climbing trees all those you know yeah. all the health and safety stuff and what have you but kids kids are kids let them grow. Let them, let them play yeah and let them enjoy if they want if they want to go down and uh, and do different different sports uh, they want to play cricket in the summer in the summer they want to uh, want to play uh, tennis they want to play Basketball, you know, I was in. The, I was in. The, I was in all the teams. Athletics, cross country. Even though I was a sprinter, but that, but that, re- that really helped me yeah. later on. Because when you're a footballer, you have to do ninety minutes. What are you doing most of the time?
1: Running, of course.
2: Yeah. Running, but you're not running flat out most of the time. Mm. You've got to be able to actually cover your distances, and that, they've got all the opta statistics now. That uh, how many miles the, the lads cover. But you have to cover the miles. But then you also, at any time, have to be able to sp- to sprint flat out from from a standing start, from or from a you know from a jog. You have to be able to do absolutely anything. That's why athletes. That when you come and ask they come and play in some side charity football matches, they can't believe how difficult it is because they're trained for their sport. So it, everything is sport, sport specific. But coming back to um, what we're talking about, as far as um, letting the kids grow up and be be themselves, really,
1: yeah.
2: as opposed to everything being corralled into forced sessions that are governed by adults because kids grow better when they set the rules, they organize things. Yes. It's a parents job and a teachers job and coaches job to make sure they're in a safe environment. Yeah. Um, but uh, apart from that, especially the younger they are, you've just got to let them play.
1: It's almost like that Brazilian attitude is the ball now play.
2: Yeah. That's what that look that's what I grew up with. And I, we don't want everything to go Go back to black and white TV when I when I started playing, or, or um, but I think we are in danger sometimes of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think is one analogy that that really yes embrace, and this is what we're doing with um, you know. There's been the, the controversy with this VIR, yeah, as far as helping the the officials get to better decisions. Embr- I'm all for embracing every modern technology that we can but using it in the right way, and don't throw out the aspects of um, the really good practices that have been adopted in the past. Mm. Holistic approach. Yeah. So we need a holistic approach, absolutely. And I think sometimes if the educationalists, sports scientists, hold too much sway, we can go one way. Um, So... We have to get the balance right. Yeah. It's all about balance. It's all about getting, using an holistic approach, using all of the modern technology, using everything that we can to make sure that we can produce really well-rounded individuals. Mm. And that will be, whether or not, because the vast, vast majority aren't going to be professionals. It's just a fact. They aren't. Mm. But even the football world and the professional football world the benefits to them, with it being holistic, is that the what the the lads that do come through will be more rounded individuals and therefore able to cope far better when the pressure's on and be a, a shining example to the kids coming through. And you won't have the, the the frightening statistics that even the lads that make it now, they're saying that even one in four of those, this is the professionals that are playing now, the one in four that make it, the one in four that have made it, which is yeah. the 0.001% of the kids that are in the system at any time, yeah. even they're classed as clinically depressed.
1: Mm.
2: What is all that about, Paul? Mm. It's crazy, absolutely crazy, because people were going, well, what's he got to be depressed about? He's, he's doing what he loves, supposedly. Yeah. He's earning an absolute fortune. He's got all what we would call the trappings. He's got the house, the car, the the partner, the family, whatever. But he's got everything that everybody thinks he's going to make us happy. happy yeah. And then you find out they're clinically depressed or they've got mental health issues. Mm. Same thing about, you know, uh, same way of describing the same thing or a different way of describing the same thing. Um, and then what... A lot of the stuff that I'm that I help people with is emotional intelligence. Yeah. Because yes, yet yeah, I went to a grammar school, so I've got my IQ will be fairly. It is one way of measuring intelligence, and that's the only way that the vast majority of people measure intelligence. When you come to Mensa, etc., you're talking about IQ. But the biggest differentiator and the biggest thing that makes uh, the difference in any Uh, Endeavour is EQ which is emotional intelligence or controlling your emotions under pressure Mm. and that's the key thing because we all see it I see it all the time striker goes through one on one with the keeper once he's got time to think about it that is the time that the vast majority will will miss it it's far easier when they get chances when they haven't got time to think they'll probably score a better percentage then Mm. Uh, because we talk about the, the amygdala in the brain. Uh, it's deep in the primal part of the brain. You've got three parts in the brain, the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain, and then the neocortex, which makes us human beings, especially the what you would call the 40% of the brain, which is the frontal lobes, yeah. which is where we can do all our analysing and conscious thinking um, about any situation. And When we're not under pressure... That works perfectly. So in training, scoring all day, you know, uh, mm. right, we're gonna have a, a finishing session and probably knocking virtually everyone in. Yeah. Comes on a match day, why is it different that a striker who you they finished that all day? And you hear it even spectators say, Flipping heck, I could have finished that. Yeah. You know, I'd have knocked yeah. that even I'd have knocked that in. Mm. But would they?
1: Perception
2: is all always- it's a it's a perception, but yes the striker should knock it in. But it doesn't take into play that when we're under pressure, the amygdala can fire off. Now the amygdala is there in our primal part of our brain because it's there it's it, it's a root it's in our DNA. Thousands and thousands of years old. The way that we react to stuff hasn't changed. It's there to keep us safe. It's there to keep us alive, actually. Mm. So in the the way it's designed to keep us alive is if the saber-toothed tiger comes running at us out of the bush. And uh, now, if, if we use our logical brain, in other words, the neocortex, the frontal part, lobes, if we, if we then keep them active to say, Oh, is that Freddy, the friendly saber-toothed tiger from Dudley Zoo, which is like uh, down the road from us now, if we leave, if we think that way, and then go, oh, and then realise at the last minute when it's too late,
1: mm.
2: because he's more or less on top of us, oh no, it's not. It looks like him, but it's actually not. Because <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. Freddie from the lo- from Dudley Zoo has been um, has been tame, so all he'll do is come up and just give you a big lick on the face. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. Mm. So we don't actually give up. That's designed to kick off so that we do one of, usually we call it the fight or flight mechanism but there's a third F, not fight there's fight flight but also freeze so Mm. we do one of those three things and you've heard of rabbits in the headlights, that's freezing Mm. but we can we either, what happens is that the blood supply to the frontal lobe switches off because the amygdala's triggered that switches off we then go into fight or flight or freeze mode. Adrenaline cortisol absolutely floods and m- goes to our, to our limbs so that we can, we can run or we can fight. So it switches off the thinking brain or the logical part. It switches off um, digestion because we don't need to digest food. We just need to actually just keep ourselves alive. Yeah. So we can stop everything that's not crucial then. But the thing is that the amygdala, and the reason that, mo- that 90 odd percent of people visit the doctors f- are uh, for stress-related um, conditions, is that in the modern world, getting that chance in front of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people or realizing that it's on the TV, every, go- every match is on the TV now, this could win the game for us and it's really crucial that becomes stressful. Mm. Getting the, the letter, the brown uh, envelope through the letterbox with the window in there from HMRC, what do most of us, the first reaction from most of us, oh, it's not, it isn't. Oh, those nice people from the tax, uh, from from the tax office have actually sent me a rebate. It's, oh, what do they want now? Yeah. yeah. Officialdom, yeah. Officialdom. Mm. So a lot of us, and I've seen but a lot of us don't even want to open it. Mm. So they've just put it on the side and we will open that later. It'll go away. Yeah. There are things that will trigger us. If we get an email or a text from our boss, Oh, I want to see you nine o'clock in my office in the morning, don't be late. What do most of us think? Oh, what have I done wrong? Not, Oh, he's obviously wants me in so that he's gonna give me a gonna give me a, a raise or a he wants to offer me a new, higher position in the company. It's that fear factor, isn't it? Yeah. That's where it kicks off in the modern world. But in, it's designed to actually just keep us alive. But any attack, any attack on our character, our livelihood, our status, or our perception of our status, especially... And we're all concerned with that. We're taught to actually... The, the, the biggest disease in the world is conformity. And also... We get too concerned with what other people think of us. That is the big thing. What will other people think? That's, um, and that holds more people back than anything else.
1: Mm. So, taking everything into account then, obviously we've talked, we started at the top of this conversation around your, your physical goals in football that mm-hmm. um, kick started your career. So, what is your, where you sit in your life now, what is your big goal?
2: Good question. I'd answer it by carrying on. So we've had two significant events. I spied the headmaster. Then I didn't fill out the university forms. Then it took me until I was 21 to get in the first team. For the next six years, I played over 200 games, scored over 50 goals for Wolves. Yep. And most of that time, I was nine years as a pro at Wolves. Most of that time, it was in the Premier League. Yep. We had two seasons outside and then we actually got promoted both times straight back into the the Premier League as it is now, first division then. Yeah. 27, I ruptured my Achilles. I then never, I got back in, I went to Manchester City, Sheffield United, Gillingham. I then had about three or four years at a lower level, played in the Championship as it is now and then Div one or Divisions mm. 2, 3, mm. as it was when I was there. But that led me to a massive investigation in how we actually work as human beings because I couldn't work it out Right. because I, in my mind I was going on to at least 35 mm-hmm. probably 35 to 40 because yeah. I was always one of the fittest at the club yeah. so I then looked at how I then got into the worlds of nutrition I looked at how the body worked but then the mind body was was one of the biggest things that I looked at how does the mind how do what we think about how does that affect what comes about in every aspect whether that be health wealth relationships everything mm. so that's led me on probably a 30-year journey right And this is why i love doing what i'm doing now so i've been through when i was first came out of football i was a an ifa an independent financial advisor then that went into the realms of being a football agent as well yeah and i was a football agent for 20 years but then the last five years I'm now doing exactly what I love to do, which is what I was doing and have been learning about and going all around the world and studying with the, the top people in their field. Yeah. And so that's all I do now is give lectures, seminars, work one-on-one with people and groups as far as getting results. So I'm in the results business because mm-hmm. you hear football managers say that all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. a results business. Yeah. I've actually interviewed quite a few of the managers already because so I'm going to put a paper out or a book as far as how to get results. And then just weave that in with what, I'm, what I've learned on the, some of the, obviously, the quantum physics and how we work as human beings and what works and what doesn't. Because there's a lot of stuff. There's so much stuff out there. It's difficult for the average person to, mm-hmm. to decipher, well, what's right and what's wrong. There's, you get so much dietary advice, for instance, don't you, about, oh, well, yeah. that's good for you and that's not. And mm. it's so conflicting. conflicting, and there's a yeah. lot of um, yeah. there's a lot of noise out there, shall we say? Yeah, it's a
1: good description, noise.
2: Yeah. So um, I can see that it is, and it has been for me at times. Yeah. But I've, as I say, I've been doing this for a long, long time now, and I know what works and what doesn't. And, and and a lot of the areas, there will be lots of different choices that people can make, and what's right for one person, because we are absolutely unique. Everybody's unique. So what's right for one person isn't going to be right for the next. So there is no blanket right or wrongs. That's the point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of uh, when I um, first started the Mastering Life podcast, it was actually called Mastering the Game of Life. And I based it on my time in uh, obviously not playing as a professional, but being involved in the professional game within the predominantly the academy at Nottingham Forest. And I got great insights there. And that through my education and my own practical life experiences, putting the two together, I, I realised, and i would kind of had these strong insights for years prior to that, but it confirmed for me that there are very, very sim- similar parallels, whether you're playing in the game of football or the game of life. So if you're defensively minded naturally within your world, you'll be a defender. If you're more creative and, you know, like you was as a striker or an attacking midfielder, then, you know, you've got that mindset. And if you went into another sphere, you would carry that mindset with you. So if you was, I don't know, um, let's say a painter and decorator, for example, you know, you'd be very creative and how you decorate somebody's house. And, you know, that would show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to be careful, I think, with making big statements like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Um, but there are kind of you know I think there's a there's a certain a strong amount of truth in that if not you know completely true so you know with these parallels uh, Mel that uh, it's been very useful so you know just listening to you speak there sort of draws me to conclude now uh, the metaphoric final whistle so you've got one message so what did it all stand for looking back when you finally leave the football field of life what's going to be your epitaph? In a physical realm, because I know where you come from in
2: the bigger picture. Something like he did he did the best he could to get as much information to everybody to, so to empower them to be the best version of themselves they can be would be wonderful because that's what it's all about. I believe we're here to be, A, be the best version of ourselves because yeah. by being the best, best version of ourselves, we empower other people and give them the because we all hold the candle, if we can light as many pe- other people's candles, because lighting somebody's candle doesn't take, doesn't make yours go out by the way. Mm. It's gonna burn down eventually, and that's, and that, uh, hopefully, I've still got a bit of, uh, bit of the candle left for it to burn, so uh, I can get the message out and Im- impact as many people as I can.
1: That's a great. That's a great way to look at it. I like. I must admit, I've never heard that candle metaphor. I like that. I'll use that going forward. So, uh, okay. So, if people want to follow you, Mel, get in touch with you. What? What's your contact? How do we get hold of you then?
2: Well, the easiest way is to, as I say, I do seminars, and you can contact me. Is go to the my website, which is melaves.com, which is M E L E V E S. dot com. No A. My name, Eves, is unusual because he does not got the A in it. It's E-V-E-S, not E A V S. And um, on the first page, I know it's been revamped and what have you, but it'll still have my next event, and then you can get information there. Or you, people can contact me, Mel, at com is my email address.
1: Fantastic. Mel, like all good things, like all great games, sooner or later the final whistle has to blow and this is one of those situations so I thank you I thank you really uh, for the deep insights you've given Uh, it's certainly been a very uh, diverse because we've talked about the practicality uh, practicalities of football on the on the pitch and that sort of deep dive into the more energy side of life so it's been very diverse the conversation but I just hope and in fact I almost know that the value that will be given within these these insights uh, will be invaluable so thank you very much for that
2: yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Paul, because I know that, um, you know, the wonderful work you're doing is um, aligns with, with myself. So I look forward to uh, hopefully having another Natter with you at some future occasion.
1: Absolutely. So there you go. There you go, listeners. There you have it. Uh, once again, gratitude to Mel Eves, ex-Wolverhampton Wanderers. And until next time, keep safe, keep learning and keep loving take care
0: thanks for listening to the mastering the game of life podcast drop a line to paul at PaulLohearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond alternatively check out paul's website at paullohearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name remember mastering life starts by embracing our hearts